church members, and of course, graduates. Good morning. That video clip right there is what I showed to the seniors on the first day of Bible class this quarter. It was to illustrate that I recognized that we as a class were on a sinking ship, that energy levels, motivation, optimism, and even grades were sinking fast, but not to abandon the ship, meaning Bible class, before it had fully sunk. Well, seniors, the ship has officially sunk in. Can I get an amen? I want to thank the seniors for not abandoning ship before we reach the end of the year. I also want to thank your class for asking me to speak this morning. It's truly an honor to be able to dive into scripture together one last time. Friends, the Pirates of the Caribbean films can be applied to so many different areas of our lives, can't they? From Captain Jack's compass that points him to whatever his heart desires most, to his backstabbingly loyal crew, these movies are just rich with deep truths about the human experience. But this morning, I would like to mention one example in particular that has everything to do with the text that we will be looking at today and this time in the lives of the prep class of 2018. Because the fourth pirate movie in the series is titled On Stranger Tides. The plot of this movie pits Captain Jack and his crew of pirates against the Royal Navy and the Spanish Navy in an attempt to locate the Fountain of Youth and wield its power. Now, the Fountain of Youth is a mystical location that has been whispered in legends around the world for many, many years. This hidden secret spring is said to contain magical water that restores youthfulness and health to anyone who drinks it, allowing them to live forever. This concept has fascinated me for years. One of the earlier examples we have of the mythical fountain is found in the Romance of Alexander, where Alexander the Great searches for what is called the water of life. The Fountain of Youth is most popularly associated with 16th century conquistador Juan Ponce de Leon, who some legends say was searching for the magical waters in the Bahamas. Even John speaks of something similar in the book of Revelation when he writes, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. I don't know about all of you, but the Fountain of Youth has always seemed so interesting to me. Eternal life through something as basic to the human body as water. And yet this morning, I would like to suggest that perhaps Alexander the Great, Juan Ponce de Leon, and even Captain Jack Sparrow never really found what they were looking for. Even in the stories where the fountain is discovered, there's always some unexpected catch. But maybe this was because they were looking for life in all of the wrong places. Now at this point, those of you who don't know me too well might think that I'm getting ready to talk about Jesus and salvation and heaven and that kind of eternal life. 
But those of you who know me well, especially all of you seniors, can probably guess that's not exactly the direction I'm going this morning. So I'd like to invite you all, if you have your Bibles, to actually turn to the book of Hosea, chapter 1 and verse 10. I'll also have it up here on the screen. In this text, God is very critical to the northern region of Israel for their poor actions. But as the first chapter concludes, Hosea begins to speak of Israel's restoration. He says these words in verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Let's pray together as we dive into this text. Father, thank you so much for this senior class. It has truly been an honor and a privilege to be a part of this amazing time during the lives. And as they carry on from here, may you just continue to bless them even more than you have up to this point. As we pray in your name, amen. As many of you probably know, the Bible that we have today is divided into two very large sections. The Old Testament, or the Hebrew Bible, is the story of Israel and contains the law, the prophets, poetry, and more. The New Testament is the story of Jesus and how the early church develops throughout the world. But the thing that many Christians today don't always recognize is that there are often these very large theological differences that take place between the Old and New Testaments, or even within the two Testaments themselves. Sometimes we like to view the Bible as this static revelation of God, but that's not at all the book that is given to us. It's constantly developing, evolving, and a changing masterpiece of how people understood God over time and through many different generations. And one of the places that we can see this idea take place very clearly is in the theology of the afterlife. Because it might be easy for us to assume that the Israelites in the Old Testament and prophets like Hosea that we're reading about today had similar or identical views of the afterlife and heaven that modern Christians have today. But this is simply not true. And so one thing I really need us to understand for today is this. Hosea and his contemporaries had little to no conception of resurrection after death. And even when the afterlife is mentioned or implied, it is definitely not the same way that Christians have understood the resurrection in light of Jesus. And this is a really important distinction. The people of Israel and prophets like Hosea had little to no conception of resurrection or life after death. But I find this concept really interesting. Because throughout the Hebrew Bible, especially in the prophets, we see a whole lot of heaven-like descriptions. The opening words of the prophets are typically very dark and harsh. God's people are referred to as all kinds of crazy things, like a rebellious child, an adulteress, and my personal favorite, a worthless vine. Very applicable to our geography. And this is because God's people are missing the plot. They're out of step with God's will and God's plan for this earth. But in the very same breath, the prophets also promise a new day, a second chance. And these descriptions sound a lot like heaven. Here are just a few examples. In Zechariah 14, scripture reads, On that day, what church? Living water 
will flow from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea, in the summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord and his name the only name. The next verse is one of my favorites. And Micah the prophet writes, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. One last example from earlier. Hosea 1, the Bible says, Yet the Israelites will be like sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. These are incredibly significant words, because Judah and Israel, which was originally one nation, had been split in two. But Hosea claims here that God will bring them back together. So look at this. Divided nations worshiping together again. Depictions of no more war, no more crying, waters of life, the Lord's perfect rule over all nations. Doesn't this sound a whole lot like heaven to you? And so it's here that we encounter an interesting problem. And I want you all to think of this problem as an incomplete puzzle with two pieces missing. We know that in the Old Testament, people had little to no concept of things like the resurrection and heaven. And yet, we also see in the Old Testament that prophets like Zechariah, Micah, Hosea, and many others have these beautiful heaven-like descriptions in their writings. So how do these two seemingly incongruent pieces fit together? How does one have a completely different concept of heaven and yet is still able to describe what sounds a lot like heaven? And most importantly, what the heck am I trying to communicate to our graduates here today? In order to answer these questions, I would like to talk a little bit about the Senior Bible Baby Project. Yes. In case you haven't heard, every year in Bible 12 we get to the relationship slash marriage and family unit towards the end of the year. Around this time, each of the seniors are tasked with creating a stuffed animal baby thing that they must keep with them at all times for about two weeks. But instead of just telling you about this, I'm going to show you an example. So I'm going to ask Megan Bothwell to, uh, you could just toss him actually. Bring up Tim here. This, ladies and gentlemen, is Tim. This is actually my baby stuffed animal project from my senior year of high school. He sits in a closet most of the year, but I bring him out for a Bible project at prep every spring. If you're wondering um, what Tim is supposed to be or look like, the answer is uh, nobody is really sure. But Tim was my child back when I was a senior. <laughs> I had to take him to school, golf team practice, and even our junior-senior banquet. So each of the seniors make a fake baby more or less kind of probably better than this. Now, if I catch them without their child in the hall, in between classes, or getting lunch at the market, or even at random places throughout the day, they lose points on their project. 
During those weeks, I'll try and pull up to the students' cars as they're driving into school, or show up for their other class times when I'm not usually at prep, or creepily hang out at the market during lunchtime. Not only that, but the seniors are allowed to take pictures of their classmates' children being unattended and send them to me for extra credit. It's a great way to ruin friendships at the end of the year. It's a lot of fun. I'm going to pass Tim back here real quick. So I wanted to show you a couple of different pictures. So if you could go to the next slide. Uh, here we have Megan Bothwell and her child, Oliver Ted, and then her child, Oliver Ted, sitting in a locker with a question that says, am I a horrible parent? And I want you to note that the answer to that question is yes, you are a horrible parent. <laughs> next slide. Here we have Joy Paulson's child, Engelbert. Is that, that's his name, right? And he is getting a nice drink of boba from the PUC cafeteria. Now we have Skylar and his Chewbacca-like child in his house. Next slide, please. This one's one of my favorites. Uh, here we have Sophie Tyner at, uh, where is this? is this Model Bakery? Model Bakery in St. Helena. And as you can see, she is just absolutely thrilled to have her child. So the point of this project is, now make sure you all get this, for the class to experience a frame of mind in which they need to be continually aware and thinking about something other than just themselves. Seniors, I hope that you got to practice a bit of this mindset as new fake baby parents of various strangely named stuffed animals and had some fun along the way as well. Church, I truly believe that God continually takes us on this journey from selfishness to selflessness from being concerned with just ourselves and our own survival to the concern, empathy, and love for the world around us. Now, I'm, I'm not a parent at this stage in my life, but having kids seems like a part of this journey that God takes us on. And while I don't have any kids of my own, besides Tim, of course, being a youth pastor and a teacher has given me just a small taste of the mental shifts that take place when you are responsible for others that you care about immensely. For example, I remember the first time I drove a van full of students to leadership conference my first year teaching at Rio Lendo. I was terrified. Here I was, fresh out of college, in charge of making sure a bunch of 15 to 17-year-olds that I had just met made it to Leone Meadows safely. My hands were tightly gripped on the steering wheel. I didn't want anyone to talk to me so that I could stay focused. Now I've relaxed a little bit more with time, but I still worry, even now. It's like I have several of my coworkers' kids in this van with me, in this car. Can you imagine the automobile lecture Bob Paulson would give to me if I got in a car accident with joy in the vehicle? <laughs> Taking care of people you love and invest in shifts your focus and your mindset. Another thing I've noticed, especially being a teacher, is I just randomly worry about my students sometimes. I'll find myself wondering how some of the exchange students are doing over the summer in China or how my students are feeling spiritually and if they'll actually retain any of the lessons that we studied in class. But most importantly, something I learned when I first became a youth pastor is that I developed this burning desire to leave the world a better place for the next generation. It was a significant mental shift for me, and I can only imagine how much stronger this desire must be as a parent. Seniors, did any of you get that feeling with your stuffed animals? 
No? Okay, I didn't think so. Most of my students know that I'm a big fan of metal music. And actually, my friend, named Pastor Mario, his brother is the lead singer of a pretty successful metal band that I keep up with. And one day I was watching him talk about a song the band wrote called Cycles. It's a song about how people can change. And I, I want to paraphrase what he said because I think it's really powerful and inspiring. He said, My dad is the most patient, loving person on earth. The thing about it was he didn't want to have kids because he didn't know what kind of dad he would be. See, he never had a father figure. He had nobody to show him how to be a real man. But despite not having that in his life, he made a choice. And I'm thankful every day that my dad never, ever let me or my brother feel the same pain that he felt growing up. You get to decide how you will move forward from these situations. Hearing these words, I think, really helps to capture this idea. A parent just determined to make the world a better place for his kids than he had growing up. I know this is something that drives me like few other things can. Making this world a better place for the next generation. It's a huge mental shift that I experienced when I started working with high school students. So what does parenting fake babies and altering mindsets and metal music have to do with Hosea? To return to our puzzle analogy, it's true. Hosea and his contemporaries had little to no conception of resurrection after death or heaven. However, people in the Old Testament did believe in eternal life. They did believe in eternal life just in a way that we might not expect. The Israelites believed that you could obtain eternal life through your offspring, through having children. You see, even in their primitive society, without modern knowledge of biology or microbiology or biochemistry or cellular biology or biomathematics or biophysics or sociobiology or all of the other biologies that we have for some reason, people in the ancient Near East still understood that parts of you are passed on to your children. Whether that's something physical like having your parents' eyes or body type or something related to personality, like courage or compassion. This is why things like family rivalries, bloodlines, women who are unable to bear children, and laws about marrying your brother's widow are talked about so often in the Hebrew Bible. It was so important, because the secret of living forever in ancient cultures was to pass your DNA down to your children. That is how you obtained eternal life. Now check this out. Because of this belief, much like having kids or taking care of people that you love and care about, this changed the mindset of the prophets. There's this mental shift and understanding that is seen throughout the Bible that we must make the world a better place for our children. The prophets believed that we could accomplish this goal, that vicious cycles could be broken by love, that darkness could be outdone by the light, that injustice could be turned into justice, that the unreconciled could become reconciled, that what was lost could be found again. That in their space, in their time, the reality of God and the reality of earth could collide once more. They believed that God could work with humanity to bring heaven to earth right here and right now. And so the authors of scripture begin to speak of a day when living water will flow from Jerusalem and God will be the ruler of all people. They write of a time when God's people will take all of their weapons, all of their arms, and craft them into farm equipment. 
Hosea speaks of a time where nations and peoples that were divided come together and worship as one people. Because by doing this, by healing the world and making it a better place for their offspring, maybe, just maybe, the next generation would be able to experience what heaven truly is. And in some strange, symbolically biological way, they too would be able to experience what heaven truly is through the lives of their children. Now, throughout the Old Testament, there are many different names for this state of heaven being on earth. Some authors call it the day of the Lord. Some say the age to come. Some describe it as the mountain of the Lord. But in chapter 1 of verse 11 of his book, Hosea calls this idea the day of Jezreel. This is significant because Jezreel is the name of Hosea's son. This would be the equivalent of me taking Tim, my fake child, holding him up like Simba from The Lion King, and sharing a new vision of our world that God has in store for all of us. A vision that I called the Day of Tim. Can you picture it? Friends, I want you to imagine a day where we reflect God's character so well that people cannot help but join this movement in this new way of living life. Imagine a day where we finally decide to dismantle all of our nukes, take all of our guns and all of our tanks, and melt them down and turn them into farm equipment. A day when different religions, cultures, and schools of thought around the world put aside their differences so that people from every nation, tribe, people, and language can worship together. And let's take it even beyond the prophet's visions. Imagine a day where we don't have to lock our doors because we are living in such selfless communities. A day when all students have access to quality education because we've decided that splurging hundreds of thousands of dollars on cars, furniture, and phones isn't really the most important thing in life. A day when our enemies become family. A day when we'll cure cancer. A day when we'll take better care of our planet. That is the world I want for my kids someday. This, my friends, is the day of Tim. But you know what the amazing thing is, church? I've seen glimpses of the day of Tim. In fact, I see it all the time. I see it in the parents of our youth who continually work hard each and every day so that their kids can live in a better world than we had the day before. I see it in our teachers at PUC Prep who sacrifice their time and energy to mentor and educate students towards a brighter future. I saw it in Joel and Hannah Steffen this year. In class of 2018, I see it in all of you. Each of you has a strong passion for the tasks that you set your mind to, and that is inspiring and holy. Use this passion to be a blessing to all nations of the world. Perhaps this can even give us a new understanding of PrEP's motto for college, for life, for heaven. Maybe these three things are more interrelated than we sometimes think. And so friends, church, and especially seniors, I have a few challenges for you this morning. Because I think sometimes, just like Alexander the Great, Juan Ponce de Leon, and Captain Jack Sparrow, maybe we are looking for eternal life in all of the wrong places. So often in Christianity, we create environments where we are meant 
to experience something like heaven only as evacuation. The earth is doomed, so just hold on until Jesus returns and the people of God will experience the waters of life. This is not to say that belief in heaven and the afterlife is not important. But in the tradition of the biblical prophets, I wonder if we should spend less time looking towards the heavens and more time looking down at the hands and feet that God has given to us. Class of 2018, I challenge you to break the vicious cycles of life with love, to turn injustice into justice, to find that which has been lost. Start healing the world with God right here and right now. And not just for yourselves. Use the gifts, talents, and passions God has placed in your heart to make this planet a better place for the generation after you, for your kids and their kids after that. Bring heaven down to earth, for I truly believe that you can. Seniors, I challenge you to be better than all of us before you. To quote another metal band that I love, may your battles become our peace. May your lies become our truth. May you replace the old guard with the new. May we see the day of Jezreel more clearly than ever before because of God's work through your generation. And church, may we not only accept this role for our young people, but may we pour our time, our energy, money, love, support, everything we have into seeing them succeed. Because we want to make this world a better place for them. And not only that, but as our youth experience the presence of God, we too will experience heaven on earth. In fact, this movement is so powerful that even long after we all fall asleep, in some strange, symbolically biological way, we can still experience the waters of life and the things that we have left behind to the next generation. So let's heal the world together, friends. May we see the day of Tim. Seniors, I want to leave you with one final piece of advice. This wisdom has served me well over the years, and I hope it can do the same for you in the future as you carry on from this place. Here it is. Just expect some unexpected superstitions once, now that help enters down on new kingdoms except yours. And may grace and peace be with you every step of the way. Thank you. <laughs>